You're listening to Plug Into Health with Prevea Health, exploring healthcare topics that matter to you, the latest developments in health and medicine, and the inspiring stories that emerge from Prevea Health, our partners, and the communities we serve. Welcome. I'm your host, Angela Dea, and on this episode, we are talking about traveling with children. We know it can be a struggle at times, but as people like to often remind parents, think of the memories you're making, right? Just keep that in mind. Well, whether you're taking flight to someplace warm over spring break, mapping out a summer road trip, or make frequent visits to grandma and grandpa's house just a couple of hours away, we've got you and your kids covered with some helpful tips in this episode. The expert we're tapping into today is Dr. Josh Rankin, a board-certified pediatrician at Purvea Health. Welcome, Dr. Rankin. Welcome. So we've asked you to be here today, not only because you're a pediatrician, but because you're also a dad. You have four kids, right? Yes, I do. Do you have any good uh, travel stories with kids or maybe something you refuse to travel without when you have your kiddos along? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So everyone, everyone thinks that as a pediatrician, my kids are perfect. That's so far from the truth. <laughs> my, my motto is actually expect the worst, hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we have you on. Okay, keep going. And I have to say, I give my wife a lot of credit for uh, everything that she does for preparation of, of traveling when we go on long rides and when we go on uh, plane trips as well. So we usually we usually uh, pack toys and snacks for the kids as well. And every child usually has their designated own lap tray. And we use creative activities that, that the kids can engage in as well. Um, and for our, our youngest, who's, who's three, making everything a game is so incredibly important. Um, but I also have to say that it, the struggle is real. It's, it's a difficult experience. Um, we had one, one time, I remember, we were uh, traveling across to Michigan, and we, went, we took uh, the ferry over to the, to the other side. And on our way back, we actually we did not prepare appropriately. We didn't get to our ferry in time on the way back. So instead of a two-hour travel back, uh, it ended up being an eight-hour travel around Lake Michigan, uh, hearing my youngest yell, Mom and Dad, all the way home. And you're still here to tell the story. <laughs> yeah, well, my left eye still twitches from time to time, but <laughs> it's, it's a challenge. It was definitely a challenge. Oh, my goodness. We're going to get into some more of those, um, you know, things to pack, uh, things to sort of help you and your kids to stay sane, but... I want to start with something else first. You know, what do parents need to be aware of in terms of how young children are developed and their ability to withstand things like flying, busy airports, or long car rides? That's a great question, Angela. And I think one of the the biggest things to remember is, is that every child has a different temperament. And the age and developmental stage of every child depends, will actually uh, uh, make that situation more difficult or easier. And I think being patient is probably the, the biggest thing, and be prepared. Um, allow your family extra time to get through security checkpoints, especially if it's, if it's at a place through uh, the, the uh, airport. And especially when traveling with younger children, uh, realizing that there's going to be distractions. They're going to go left. They're going to go right. They're going to see this, and they're going to see that. They're going to play on the slides that are sometimes found in airports as well. So um, extra time is probably paramount. Do you think it would be helpful to maybe go over with your child, I mean, if they're old enough, to help them understand what to expect? 
Yes, and I think um, uh, talking with children before ahead of time is a good idea. Usually particular children that are greater than age four, so that they realize this is what we're going to do and this is what's going to happen, especially those children who have type A personalities and really depend on routine and knowing things before they occur. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some more of those um, uh, comfort items or needs that we need to make that we need to make sure that we're able to address while we're traveling. So for example, I think of things like snacks, something to do, any bathroom or hygiene needs, and medications if needed. Uh, Let's start with snacks, anything we should try to include or stay away from. Yeah, for snacks, well, this is really all-encompassing. Just because you're on vacation doesn't mean that you can have a bag of Doritos and candy, right? So avoiding high-sugar foods, high-sodium foods, and and foods that are going to last a little bit longer, like more of those complex carbohydrates, protein snacks, those kinds of things are, are best suited for children. So do you think, so it's not only, you know, making sure their hunger is satisfied, but am I correct in assuming that maybe too much sugar could change their temperament or their behavior or something along those lines? What what happens if I'm just giving them, uh, you know, fruit snacks and candy and chips? Well, you know, there's not a lot of data out there that states that if you give a, a child high in sugar that it's going to make them wound up and crazy. Although I have to say there's lots of anecdotal accounts from parents who tell me otherwise. Um including my own children. So (laughs) that's definitely uh, something to consider as well. Um, High sugar foods, too, can make you hungrier later. So you have this very high peak in your glucose, and then it shoots down, and then you feel this this insatiable urge to eat again. And so the cycle goes round and round and round. It can make things actually worse than better. Okay, that's some great insight. Let's talk about things to do. And I'm I'm not going to lie here, and we're actually going to be doing um, another separate episode on this with you. Let's talk about screen time. Is it okay to just let them watch their their tablets or should we be doing something else to make sure that they're entertained? Yeah. So I think this is this is a <laughs> this can be a difficult circumstance and situation, preferably excuse me, particularly for those very long drawn out rides that are greater than two hours. Because um, you only can do so much and then you hear the I'm bored. I'm done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. And so if you've exhausted all other uh, methods, then I think screen time is reasonable, but still trying to stick to what the recommendations are, trying to limit screen time uh, in younger kids to less than an hour a day, and also making sure that if you've, if you've exhausted everything, to place a movie, to play a movie for them in that time frame is not completely out of the question. You mentioned with your youngest, you, everything's a game. Or what are some fun non-screen time related activities we could do to, you know, m- try to make it a fun experience for all? Yeah. <laughs> so, so Angela, and you probably are aware of this game too. I Spy. Uh-huh. That's a pretty popular one. I remember playing that when I was when I was young. Travel Bingo is another great one. I don't know if you've heard of that. No. How does that work? So Travel Bingo, it's basically like these little. Uh, one foot by one foot cards that have little things that you blot out as you go by, let's say, a, a road sign or as you go by a semi, you you blot it out until you have bingo. And then the children, especially if you have more than one, uh, compete to see how close they can get and it keeps them occupied. I love that. So if I, if I Google that, am I going to find that somewhere? Or oh, maybe yeah, on absolutely. Pinterest or something? <laughs> you can find it anywhere. 
I love it. Mm-hmm. Great one. Um, let's talk about, um, you know, kids can get really tired. Do we have to consider maybe a comfort item, like a blanket or a stuffed animal, something to make them feel comforted, maybe when they get sleepy or anxious? Yeah, I think whenever a child is taken out of their comfort zone, away from home, and situations are different, and their sleep sometimes can be different as well, having a reminder from home is a great idea. And so if they do have a stuffed animal or uh, something that they is their consolation prize, uh, I think that's completely fine and acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think sometimes it can be a given. You know, kids can get anxious, crabby, or unable to sit still while traveling. This can be particularly hard when flying. Is it ever safe to give a child Benadryl or something similar to make them sleepy throughout the flight? I've, I've heard of this being done. Yeah, I don't, Angela, I don't recommend Benadryl to be given in the situation of flights, um, particularly because we don't know how the Benadryl will interact from one child to the next. Benadryl is, by, by nature, it's an antihistamine, so when used appropriately in the setting of allergies, it works well. But in some kids, especially kids less than two years of, of age, it can have other potential side effects, not making you necessarily tired, but making you more agitated or upset. And so you actually can have worsening behaviors with Benadryl uh, in a subset of patients. And there's something to be said, too, realizing that Benadryl, uh, with the side effect profile that, that it has, if you're using it for side effects rather than therapeutic effects, you, got, you start walking on a little bit of a touchy uh, scenario because uh, when you're not using it for what it's supposed to be used for. Sure. What is a parent's best response to their child when the child is having a meltdown? Let's say, you know, I mean, it's like you see the scene out of the movies or really in real life. It's a packed, crowded plane. It's probably a long flight, and your child is having a meltdown, maybe for reasons that are very understandable. They're anxious. They're tired. Um, what What is a parent's best response in that situation? The best response is, Stay calm. (laughs) I know I said this before. (laughs) This is so easier said than done. I had a a situation when I was actually sitting uh, next to a really upset and frustrated parent uh, who was nearly crying because her own child was having a meltdown. And she was so embarrassed, so worried about what the people in front of her and behind her were saying. And I looked at her and I stated, I mean, this is every day in my life for me. And so I gave her a little advice in, in recognizing that as a pediatrician and a parent myself, and I think I said this before as well, the struggle is real. You know, uh, everyone goes through it. Everyone goes through it in, the, in their situations on when you can't, um, when you can't, uh, there'll be situations and experiences that you you can't foresee, and that's one of them. And so, if it's safe and the unbuckle light is on, and you're at a, in an ascent where you can unbuckle and move around the cabin, picking up, especially those younger children, and walking up and down the aisles, having them see different sights, make it a game, have them point out different things, and keeping them more occupied and preoccupied can be helpful as well. But really, we need to try and stay calm as as best as we can. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but if we as parents start to get really Absolutely. upset and, and anxious and worried about everything else around us other than our child, do our kids feed off that energy? Absolutely. So what energy we model 
we transfer that to our children. And it's the unspoken that they really visualize the most. It's the authentic body language and the authentic way that you talk with your kids that they pick up on. Not the small talk, not the, not the little ways that you direct them to be calm, but by seeing you be calm yourself. And my goodness, if and you gave the perfect example of being seated next to somebody who is going through that situation. I just have to say, as a parent, if, if you see this and you see another parent struggling, be kind, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Be kind. Yes. We're all going to be yes. there at some point or another. Yes, absolutely. That's oh. so important. Let's talk about ear popping on planes. How can this affect children and what can we do to help them? Yeah, so um, ear popping is not an uncommon phenomenon for anybody on planes, but it's more so of an issue for children because their eustachian tubes, or that small tube that connects the inner ear to the back of the throat, is small itself. And so pressure changes in the cabin uh, when you rapidly ascend or you descend can cause tweaks of pain. And so children will perceive this as almost like feeling like they're in a cave, a muffled sensation, or acute uh acute occasions of pain. So when that happens, one of the things that you can do is give them something to chew on, to eat. If they're old enough, they can chew gum uh, or drink something as well. Uh, Particularly, this is true for those really young infants who are breastfeeding or who are bottle fed to have uh, that available to them is is really helpful as well. Um, And then the other thing is frequent engaging in frequent swallowing if you can. That's another thing that can be helpful too. What? And sorry if this is putting you on the spot, but how? What? At what age can I give a child gum? Yeah. So choking hazards, which is gum considered a choking hazard, usually children under the age of two should not be chewing gum or having any other types types of choking hazards like nuts, uh, hard candies, those kinds of things. Um, typically speaking after age three or four is probably a better time when they actually can uh, chew the gum rather than swallow it repetitively, which sometimes happen with kids right. before age two or after age two as well. I've also, I've also seen um, kids with, with suckers. Mm-hmm. Um, does that, can that help with the ear popping? Well, if it engages in frequent swallowing, yes, it can help. Uh, of course, suckers are not preferred because it is candy. <laughs> and it's sugar. And, and don't it's get the sugar. sugar. <laughs> and so, right, it's like we're running an uphill battle here. Yeah. What are we going to do, Angela? Yeah, I don't know. My eyes are twitching just thinking about it. <laughs> Let's also talk a little bit about um, long car rides. Um, car seat safety in this case is going to be very important, I imagine. Um, kids are going to want to make you know, they need to get those wiggles out, but we got to keep them in that car seat. I mean, that is the utmost of important. Maybe making frequent stops would help. Correct. And so the American County Pediatrics recommends to uh, to make frequent stops every at least every two hours is what's preferred. And if you have, if you're in a long route, long destination, um, where you have a rental car company, for example, try to call ahead and see if you can actually coordinate getting a correct uh, type of uh, car seat or booster seat for your child. Um, that should be something that they provide. It might be limited to the things that you can you can choose, but having a car seat, uh, any kind of car seat, is much more preferable than having no car seat at all. Are you able to to give us some um, 
important reminders about what the guidelines are for car seats? Yeah. So for car seat standards, and I believe I'm quoting this right from American County Pediatrics as well, you have to be at least four and 40 pounds before you can get out of a a regular five-point harness booster seat. So that's one of the things. All children under under that age should be in a five-point harness at all times. Uh, Children at least two and under should be in a rear-facing car seat as long as they don't exceed the weight restrictions on that car seat. And then finally, uh, after you get above eight and four foot nine, uh, that is when you can get out of uh, a regular booster seat. And no front seating uh, passengers under the age of 13. Great, um, very important reminders there. So thank you for that. Let's talk about germs. At the time of this recording, um, we are in the midst of a really bad flu season. There's also a concern about the coronavirus. What can we be doing to make sure our kids are protected from germs and illnesses while traveling? That's a really great question. And some data suggests that more than one in five people who travel on planes become ill. Mm. That's significant. Um, Not to mention, if you hear someone coughing behind you or in front of you, realize that those those rates of illness probably go up with that understanding. So I have a few uh, a few recommendations, of course. Number one, wash your hands. That's so important. And in younger kids, it can be harder, but avoid frequent face touching. Mucous membranes, uh, which include your eyes, your nose, your mouth, those are a huge vector of transmission of illness from one uh, patient to the next. And if you can, uh, try to sit near a window rather than near the aisle. If you think about it, how many more people going up and down the cabin are you rubbing against people going to and from the bathrooms uh, for uncertain reasons? Mm -hmm. And then also the flight attendants who are constantly going in and out, also interacting with countless people as well. Yeah, that's something I wouldn't have, I mean, it's so obvious, but I I wouldn't have thought of that right off the bat. What about things too, like um, I might want to bring some some sanitary wipes Hmm. to wipe off the tray or some um, hand sanitizer. Yeah. Just in those, you know, in-between moments when you can't be near soap and water. Hand sanitizer is fantastic. Um, And I definitely, definitely recommend that. Um, and also keeping in mind that influenza season is at this point peaking. Everyone thinks, my gosh, coronavirus. And although, yes, coronavirus is very significant, it really isn't a huge pandemic in our country at this time. Influenza is still one of the most morbid and mortal illnesses in our country. And upwards of 50 to 60,000 people in the United States die every year from influenza. It varies from season to season, uh, but even in the peak influenza season, wearing a mask on a plane is a reasonable place to approach. You probably get people looking at you thinking that perhaps you're sick, um, but realizing that you're preventing yourself from getting sick or contracting someone else's sickness uh, is, a, is a really important thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to note, too, the time of this recording, um, it is uh, February of 2020. So we know you might be listening to this episode uh, a year from now. So uh, just to keep that in mind, but great tips there, Dr. Rankin. Um, last point here seems quite obvious, but unfortunately, children go missing every day in this world. I imagine that you cannot stress enough the importance of keeping an eye on your children every moment while traveling, whether you're in airports or making stops in unfamiliar locations while you're on a road trip. 
Yeah, that's really important. I'm glad you brought that up because watching your children in every scenario and situation is very important, especially those crowded airports where there's people going from different security checkpoints from one place to another. Children also should never be left alone in a vehicle ever. Even if it's for a few moments, you don't realize what implications that could have. Um, uh, young children should be in strollers or held if possible and avoid the leash. You probably might see this in some uh, places, but the actual tethering system can be dangerous in some circumstances. The child is wandering off, and then you tug them a little forward, and then they fall, or they trip, or they go right down to a main uh, place where there's lots of people walking. So, and also it's a little disconcerting, disconcerting to see a child uh, similar to that of a pet. <laughs> so realizing that as well. And then in older children, usually children uh, around age four and above, making sure that they memorize their parents' names, their full address, their parents' phone numbers, and role-playing scenarios and situations if something happens, if they get lost. Um, and so I can, I can vouch firsthand that my son uh, was actually one of, the, one of those scenarios and situations. We were on vacation in Disney World, um, and we got off one of the rides, and my son all of a sudden was gone. And it was horrible. It was horrible. My wife was crying. I was looking everywhere for my son. And so I'm backpedaling to find where he could be. And my wife goes to the information checkpoint, and within three minutes, a security guard had brought uh, my son back to her. And I was still looking, floundering. But what had happened was my son, he actually uh, knew our phone numbers. And so they con he contacted security personnel who then contacted my wife. And he was uh, reunited with us very quickly. But it was very scary when it had happened. But there's an example of how preparation, <laughs> even though we weren't, of course, planning for anything like that, uh, really changed uh, an outcome very quickly. Wow, that is a fantastic example and such an important reminder. You don't want to ever think that that's going to happen, but it can. And I think that's a great tip to do a practice scenario. Mm -hmm. Wow, great, great tip. Dr. Rankin, thank you so much for, for joining us for this episode. Yeah, thank you for having me. Now, we know that there are a lot of other topics to be addressed when it comes to traveling safely and comfortably with children. Organizations such as the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or the CDC, offer travel safety tips for parents who are taking their children abroad. And the website healthychildren.org also offers a variety of really helpful tips for travel via plane or car. And you can also check out the Transportation Security Administration website, tsa.gov, to help answer any additional questions you may have about flying with children. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Plug Into Health with Provea Health. To learn more and to submit ideas for future shows, please visit provea.com slash podcast. And please remember, the information provided in this podcast does not constitute medical advice. It is not intended to replace interactions with your healthcare professional. And if you are concerned about your healthcare, you should consult with your healthcare professional. You can learn more about Prevea Health at Prevea.com. Thank you for choosing to plug into health with Prevea Health.